0: mind in your heart game you know it's a fresh new sun and J Netler will bring you there so let's talk about it with life and darling air Good morning everyone this is Fran Lewis from Westchester County where it's pouring rain because Ian is visiting, and this mm-hmm. is going to be really, really interesting. From language acquisition to learning to read to becoming a proficient reader to developing a lifelong love affair, was my favorite subject, reading, with a printed word, we're going to talk about it all. Dr. George Caputo is here, and we're going to talk start with how children acquire language through interaction and more. So good morning, and welcome back in... Doing this again, this is going to be fun, I
1: hope. <laughs> Good morning, Fran. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here.
0: Well, this is this is very important, and I've spread the word, and I know there are people listening, and I'm going to send the links to some of the teachers in my school because I really think they could use a little help. So the first talking point you said would how do children acquire language, and are there different theories of language acquisition development, and what are the stages?
1: Yes. Yes, um, inter- I, I, I have always been uh, incredibly um, curious, and uh, how shall I say, a real uh, uh, <laughs> a uh, scientist as it comes to uh, language development. I, I really wanted to do a PhD in neurolinguistics, but they wouldn't allow it. They were only taking uh, MDs at the time. But anyway, uh, language basically is an incredible phenomenon. And there are three accepted theories, three major accepted theories of language acquisition. Perhaps those are Chomsky. He's the father of American linguistics, as you know. Uh, he has what's called the theory of innateness. and probably only Chomsky could get away with this. But his theory mm-hmm. of innateness basically said that human beings are hardwired; their brains are hardwired to be language receivers and language users. And he kind of left it at that. And people say, "Well, wait a minute. That's a little nebulous." But he kind of got away with that for a long time, and it's still it's still on the books, and it's still, up, quite honestly, uh, uh, incredibly respected. That's 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 number one. Number two, B.F. Skinner, the behavioral psychologist. B.F. Skinner mm-hmm. said, "No, no, no, no. Language is not uh, wired. It's not uh, physiologically wired. It's learned through a series of." stimulus-response chains, SR chains, or imitation. yeah? And that's exactly what we'd expect from Skinner, because he's a a behaviorist. And there was a bit of an argument for many years, talking about the 50s and 60s about this, and then finally someone named Lev from Russia came in and decided, well, let let me me, me come up with a compromise. And he came up with what's called the social interactionist theory of language, Mm -hmm. which is basically that, yes, the brain is hardwired. Yes, there are imitations play a large part. However, you're not going to acquire language without being in a social interaction uh, milieu. You need to have, and it's a you need people to speak with, and you need to have people you can talk to. So that became the number three major theory of language acquisition. And those three remain the big three today. Okay, a theory of nameness, behavior theory, and social interaction theory.
0: Okay, so I have a question, because I actually of did course. a lot of research on all of these. I'm very uh-huh. impressed with myself today, yeah. And what is the role? Children acquire language through interaction, but not only through their parents and other adults, but also with other children. So as normal Correct. children go up in a normal household surrounded by conversation, Will they acquire the language that is being used around them, and will they develop the correct language skills? Because I know that I've said it, and I'm glad my niece listens to me. My niece is three and a half. She's going on 27, for real. Uh And I I try to explain to to Faith that don't talk to her like she's two. Talk to her like you would talk to anybody else. And that's Mm -hmm. probably why she's learned. So how how do children, besides the three theories, Who else do they learn from? It also says, language development starts with sounds, gestures, then words, and sentences. So we're going to get to that afterwards, too. You can support language development by talking a lot with your child and responding when the child communicates. But my thing is, how many parents actually answer them?
1: You know, good point, Brad. And to be honest with you, uh, the the research is very clear in this regard, and there's, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of research in language acquisition, language development. But uh, some parents just intuitively know how to do it. When I say how to do it, basically what I'm saying, what I'm suggesting mm-hmm. is certain parents intuitively realize that not only do they have to give the ch- the youngster an opportunity to speak, basically by eliciting language, but then when the child does speak, mm-hmm. if the child happens to Say a sentence grammatically incorrect in a grammatically mm-hmm. incorrect passage, or if he if he uh, past tenses a word uh, because he's overgeneralizing the the past tense rule at age two or three, uh, the parent knows not to say no 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 no. We don't say that. We don't say go. Mm-hmm. We say when. And the the basically. Uh, and I know you know this, so this is basically for anyone in the audience who doesn't have a background on language acquisition, but that's, that's that's called modeling. Modeling as opposed mm. to correcting. Mm. And modeling is so critically, critically important. Language, this is a phrase I love, and I believe it's Chomsky's. Language is learned mm. as a series of approximations. Huh? Language is learned as a series of approximations. Oh, I, mm. I just wish and wish that... Reading specialists will understand that when they listen to children read aloud. aloud. But we'll get to that in another session. Yeah, I know. I, I, that that I'm
0: glad you brought that up because I've been listening to different people that I pass by. On the lady in the bakery and her daughter, and the teacher reads the book out loud. I go, that's very nice. Mm -hmm. Now, what else Mm -hmm. does she do? And the the Mm -hmm. teacher, she's very poor. She should not be teaching anything except maybe, you know, in a, in a, in a reform school. Um, mm-hmm. She doesn't ask questions. She doesn't stop in the middle of a paragraph or middle of a page and say, what do you think, or ask any thinking questions. She just reads it, and then she says, this is the assignment you have to do to write an essay about it. If yeah. the children don't comprehend, they, I, just, I had to help last year with Johnny Tremaine, and I had to help her with something else. And I said to her, mm-hmm. I can help you to explain the assignment, but I can't do it for you because I don't know exactly what the teacher wants. And besides, it's not going to help if I write it. I mean, you might get mm-hmm. an A, but the teacher's going to – The most of the parents in that class do the homework for the kids.
1: Yeah. Because yeah. they're so
0: grade conscious. The, uh, these teachers really don't get it. If you're reading something aloud, then you have to, number one, expression, expressive. You have to ask them what they think, what about the characters, just – Get them interacting in it, and they don't so that that yeah. that that's that's another thing, so the next yeah. question is considering I, I butt into my niece all the time. it's fun um parents of little kids they need to what are some of the things that parents and caregivers can do to facilitate a child's language development? now, I have a list of what i found I did research on everything. And mm-hmm. hopefully jealous. the research I did, you had I sat there for hours in the middle of the night, saying, "Okay, I'm <laughs> going to take the talking points and figure this out." Well, there's word games, there's riddles, there's mm-hmm. rhymes, there's homonyms, storytelling, uh, songs, mm-hmm. tongue twisters. Um, my, my question is this: they have all of this, and then the child goes to pre-K, and they're just learning how to how to stare at the letters, and they're making sounds. Mm-hmm and the sound system, but I said it to my to the, my first grade teacher. I said, are your children learning how to read words? Or are mm-hmm. they just doing this Wilson program and sound's getting nowhere. So which which is it? What should parents do in order to get children into reading besides saying, sound out the word, which is not the answer? Not, not to me no, anyway.
1: Well, that, no, of course not. And that, that list that you gave initially of uh, things that are uh, – Uh, efficacious, uh, very effective, and and, uh, helping children acquire language is a very good list. Uh, They say those are all, I'm going to use a a, a acute phrase that we use a lot in education, ecologically valid. In other words, Mm -hmm. when you're asking kids to, when you read poetry to children, when you play word games, these are all ecologically valid, meaning these are things that that are done in real life. We're not making up, but we're not, we're not we're having children do things like, if I may, I'm sorry, Wilson people, but we're not having children tap outwards. words. I, you show me any uh, proficient reader who's tapping with his finger. It's ridiculous. It's the most ecologically invalid program out there. And really, unfortunately, Wilson people, I'm sorry, but unfortunately you know as well as I do that Wilson has become the uh, the the program for learning disabled mm-hmm. children, and exactly the kids who don't need to be tapping out words. In fact, no one needs to be tapping out words. It's ecologically invalid. So getting back to your question before I go on a rampage about the Wilson program and the absolute, I'd be glad to debate anyone about this. Uh, by the way, I have to quickly mention, I had a teacher in my reading center um, several years ago who uh I, she was well on her way to doing her Ph.D., and she was helping doing the evaluations with me. And she came in one day looking a little bit ill. And I said, what's the matter? She goes, George, I, I, I'm a little upset. I'm, having, I'm, I'm being observed tomorrow. I said, Marianne, you've been mm-hmm. in the district 25 years. You're a reading specialist and a special ed uh, specialist. You're certified in both. You said this with your eyes closed. She goes, no, we're, we're doing this. they they brought in this Wilson program. And George, it's so hard. I'm not sure about when you tap, when you don't tap. And this is a person who is reading on almost a doctoral level who's having difficulty. In in my estimation, Fat this if if there's if there's not a better litmus test for the ridiculousness of a program, it's if a if an incredibly uh, proficient reader is having difficulty with it. Come on, are we giving this to five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-old children who blah, who are struggling? It just doesn't make sense. Okay, that's my rampage, well, well Getting back to your point, the, the the way that parents can facilitate language, uh, again, just talking to children, uh, giving them an opportunity to respond, rewarding approximation. Um, mm-hmm. Also, we, we, we're not forgetting, we're both mentioning, the reading different things to children and letting them uh, play with word, words and words sounds. Uh, a little bit later, or perhaps in our next session, we're going to talk about the uh, the five pillars of the National Reading Council. And one of them is phonemic awareness. And phonemic awareness is confused a lot with thought. Yeah. They're not the same thing. Phonemic awareness is defined as one's understanding of the sounds of spoken language, whereas phonics Mm -hmm. has to do with written language. Phonemic awareness is divided Mm -hmm. into two parts. Um, uh, uh, Phonic integration, ba-at, all right, or Mm -hmm. ba-at. Both of those involve phonic integration. I have no problem with that other than I'd much prefer ba-at because it's less on short-term memory, okay, than ba at uh. It's not a problem, but if you do ba to, t-u-u-uh, that's a little bit difficult for you. That puts a little bit of a load on short-term memory, okay? Now, if you do ba at er it's far easier. So when it comes to phonemic awareness, I, in my opinion, uh, not a problem, but do it with larger chunks. They're, they're called clusters, and they're called linguistic clusters. Much easier than individual sounds. Now, the second part is called phonemic segmentation. Friends, phonemic segmentation, I, mm-hmm. I can understand why all of these experts that we have throughout the country are not rising up against this. Phonemic segmentation is so incredibly ecologically invalid. It involves giving children a word and having them systematically take the word apart by its constituent sounds. So for they give them the word butter or you give them the word best, and they have to say, but, uh, n- mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. And, and oftentimes they can't do it. And if they can't do it on a phonemic awareness or a phonemic segmentation test, we say, wait a minute, there's a problem with phonemic segmentation. Instead of saying that, we should say, that's a ridiculously difficult thing for any human being to do. Okay? So, anyway, in, in short... Uh, I think I, I love parents reading all kinds of different things to children. Reading aloud to children is probably the single best thing mm-hmm. that parents can do to get children up to a good start. So says Jim Chalice who wrote the the, the Read Aloud Handbook, as you know, that was on the New York Times bestseller for, for five years. And uh, uh, reading aloud. Two children, wonderful. And when you're reading, the trouble with a kitten is that eventually it becomes a cat. You you, and here's thing one, and here's thing two. What do you think they're going to do? Okay, it's a little nonsense, but but look what's happening. This is all a thing in for language. They gay little a what begins with a and Mm -hmm. it's alligator a a a. Okay, Uh, there was uh, uh, all all of these all of these things that we read to children that are fun that are enjoyable, that are engaging, that are ecologically valid, reading real novels, reading real mm-hmm. short stories to children, incredibly effective way. And as you quite correctly said, and then discussing them with them. If you just read them aloud to children I say, okay, here, go do these worksheets, no, 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 I'm sorry. In my opinion, that's not a very effective teaching.
0: No, I, I agree with you. I tell you know something. I taught every grade. I love sixth grade. And then I was put on first grade, and I go, "Holy God, why me?" Seriously, yeah. <laughs> I was put yeah. on first grade the first day of school. Know nothing about it, and had to figure it out for myself. They were doing Bank Street, which is better than Wilson, mm-hmm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: mm-hmm. But
0: what I learned is, and of course, if you don't tell the principal what you're doing, it's better. Seriously. Right. I adapted right. the program to be what I wanted it to be. In other words, mm-hmm. these teachers don't understand. If Wilson doesn't work, then you've got to find something that does. You've got to mm-hmm. adapt it. You've got to figure out a way to get through to every child in your class, and they don't. Well, I listen to them saying, well, I have too many kids, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. The principal said you have to do this. I've used people that use Wilson, and I tell them, you're batting up a dead tree. You're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> And mm-hmm. sounding out every letter of every word, you're right, doesn't give you a word. And yeah. I think the, the cutest thing I saw the other day was on Facebook when my little four-year-old niece was reading, reading a book to her dolls and explaining the, explaining the book to her, the dolls. And she actually understood how to read it. And I'm sitting to see, well, this is what happens when parents read and she goes to a good pre-K. I often wonder mm-hmm. what the pre-Ks are teaching. I know I know that some of them are just teaching letters and how to recognize the sounds and whatever. I don't think mm-hmm. they're getting into real words. And I think yeah. that, that, that that's part of the problem also. Um, I guess I was lucky uh, um Banksy worked, but when Banksy didn't work I found something else and if the lipping card didn't work and whatever didn't work I invented the Fran Lewis did it her own way reading system. Especially when right. the kids were twelve years old and couldn't read. words. right which comes to the next talking point, um, which is, what is the difference between expressive language receptive, which comes first, and which is more important to become a proficient reader?
1: Ah, okay. And I have good that in
0: difference. front of me. Yeah,
1: that's a good question. I, I think I think it's a very important differentiation, friend. and it's really uh, simple to make, and mm-hmm. it's something that uh, all people uh, uh, and mm-hmm. teachers uh you, most definitely should understand. And that's simply, there are four four language arts. And the four language arts Mm -hmm. are reading, writing, listening, and speaking. Okay? Now, Mm -hmm. let me just put them together a little bit differently. Reading and listening, writing and speaking. The first two are referred to as, reading and listening are referred to as receptive language arts because when you're reading Mm -hmm. and you're listening, you're receiving that information, yeah? Whereas uh, speaking and writing, you're delivering it, yeah? So so those are Mm -hmm. called expressive language. So of the two, I'm sorry, let's call it expressive language arts. So of the two, the one that's of the two, receptive or expressive language, the one that's really more important in terms of reading comprehension is receptive vocabulary, your mm-hmm. receptive. Words. because as you're reading, you are basically doing two things, same well doing several things. but two of the most important constituents of, of the process are you, are you are decoding the author's words and simultaneously processing meaning. okay? And the only way that you can effectively process meaning is if the words that you have been able to decode in whatever way you manage to do it, and we're both sure you don't do it by tapping, okay? But whatever way you manage to decode those words, um, you are then using that information to kind of meld with your receptive vocabulary, which is defined as the storehouse of words of which one knows the meanings. Our mental dictionary. Our mental lexicon. Our mental lexicon are those words mm-hmm. of which we know the meanings. Now, the greater one's re- mental lexicon, or um, synonymously, the 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 greater one's uh, receptive vocabulary, the better able one's able to process the printed word. Because if you know what the word um, uh, cemetery means, if you know what the word uh, mm-hmm. um, Detrimental means when you're processing it, if you can decode it, well, that's wonderful. But if you have no idea what it means, well, then you, if you can get it from the context, that perhaps you're you're not able to do that. So, the the long winded answer to your question, I apologize for that, friend. But the one the 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 language that's more important in reading is receptive. Receptive language is critically Mm -hmm. important, and I am by no means saying that. uh, expressive language is important as well. It's wonderful for them both to be developed. But clearly, we, you know as well as I do, you have children, mm-hmm. uh, uh, babies learn their receptive language first. They're, they're able mm-hmm. to understand us far sooner than they're able to express themselves. Yeah? And uh, in those stages, by the way, those stages that I didn't answer that question before, I should have. But basically, babies start out with language acquisition by by doing what's called undifferentiated babbling they they make, they make all kinds of sounds, it sounds in fact uh, you, you can't even differentiate them because you have no clue what they are then they move to consonant vowel babbling Ba ba that that's why dad da awesome mm-hmm. and mama come uh, uh first i'm I'm told that dad make them first because. Um, uh, physiologically that the, the is an easier sound to make them than a ma. that's told to me by my speech pathologist mm-hmm. who knows far more about articulation than I do uh, but then after after the uh, the um, uh, consonant vowel, vowel then you have holophrastic speech that's when they learn basically to say different words single words single word utterances and then you have telegraphic speech okay Johnny, Johnny, Johnny wants Johnny want ice cream. Johnny, hey, hey, says he's saying by the word. Yeah, telegraphic speech, and then following that you get to uh, 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 subject-verb-object sentences, and following that you have complex sentences. That's basically the five or six stages of language acquisition that most children should, in fact, move through. the The interesting thing is they do move through those stages. Idiosyncratically, some children are two and they're still not engaged in, in uh, consonant vowel babbling. Some children are three and they're still not engaged in any kind of single word utterances. And now the parent gets concerned about delayed language, and that 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 becomes a, a, a tough one because uh, I, again, language is learned so idiosyncratically, like most things in life, uh, that at some kids at three that might be delayed language. Other kids, it might not be. It might not be. And, again, you have to, unfortunately, with medical people, and I'm not at all criticizing them, oh, God, do we need them, but unfortunately Mm -hmm. with medical people, if you bring a three-year-old who to a speech and language pathologist, he may diagnose that as delayed language, when, in fact, it, I, I had to sit over the and tell me, oh, come on, my kid didn't talk until three and a half. Or three and a half, he started talking in full sentences. And but that was you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. That would never happen today. Today we tend to jump on these problems, you know, uh, that these uh, what appear to be problems. But um, getting back to where we started uh, with this particular question, the one more important in reading is receptive vocabulary. Also important, by the way, which one is more important in writing? Well, writing is your expressive vocabulary, but you're mm-hmm. also using that storehouse in your your metal lexicon so it involves both.
0: Well, I have a question that's going to be odd because I'm sitting here looking okay. at my research and my idea. I, I you know I taught for a thousand years on uh, first grade, second grade, whatever, and uh-huh. I've noticed sometimes even with parents of little kids. They're coming to the bakery. They don't talk to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They don't say anything. Parents um, sometimes can't tell what their receptive language is by what the child says. Children struggle with vocabulary, putting the words together. And I've noticed mm-hmm. that the little the cute little kids in the bakery, and nobody's talking to them. Parents are just worried yeah. about what they're buying, and there's no interaction. That has to affect how well they learn language. And then sometimes a child will say, I want that, and then they'll tell them to be quiet. They don't get a chance to speak. And if children yeah. don't get a chance to express themselves and ask questions, then they're going to just be frustrated and go to school and say nothing, which is basically what my mother would say to me, you know, wait till the teacher calls on you and don't raise your hand. So I kept quiet for a long yeah. time. Not anymore. Yeah. So what do you do yeah. when parents don't, let the child speak or there's no interaction or a babysitter's watching them and then they turn out, by the time they get to school, they have no oral receptive language or even expressive language. What do you do then?
1: Yeah. It's a a very good question and uh, unfortunately, there's not any solution, however, to give you Mm. at least a response. Uh, There is no doubt about it that the the parents should, parents we parents should Mm-hmm. Uh, do all we can to not mm-hmm. only speak to our children, encourage them to speak, reward approximations, not criticize, perhaps show them the correct way. Not perhaps, but definitely through modeling.
0: Uh, hey, He ran mm-hmm. to
1: the store. Really, honey, went to the store? So I, I corrected, but I didn't do it through correction. I did it through modeling. But, again, I don't see enough of mm-hmm. that, that modeling. I see more of the correction, again, and the generalization. However, um, I think more more pervasively, I see mm-hmm. parents who don't – and these are parents who have told me during an evaluation perhaps that they're concerned that the youngster is not really um, talking or I should say, mm-hmm. not during my evaluation, but a special language evaluation. You know, he, he's not really saying things. And I, I just watch the parent and the child interact, and the parent does a lot of talking but does not give the youngster a, a chance to, to respond or to say, you say, you, you say library. We're in the library. Let me hear you say library. Where you, you try to elicit the, the language from the child. Okay? And, and again, uh, mm-hmm. I don't see that being done enough. And it's so easy to do, and well-intentioned parents, I think, oftentimes uh, don't do it, and then they're surprised that the youngster's language, expressive language development is not where it should be. And that, that's really a very easy fix. Just just that you do. Let me hear you say it, okay? And uh, important, important, and also critically important. You you alluded to this before. Critically important, and what's better... Way to encourage language development. Then, for parent and youngster, as important, if not perhaps more so, if the kids are eight hours in school. For a teacher and youngsters to engage in discussion, discussion about that which the children have read. Mm. I, I'm all for reading aloud to children. I think that's wonderful. But I, I have a sense I'm hearing too much this well yeah my teacher spent the period basically reading the story to us and i'm wondering you know it, the youngster who's telling me that is in third grade fourth grade why is that teacher reading the story to them um I, is this being done regularly yeah that's, that's basically what she does and she'll give us a worksheet to do uh and now again i'm not at all paying this. this is a practice that all teachers uh, engage in but it's far too many than, than there should be. Uh, by third or fourth grade, there's no reason why the children shouldn't be reading a, a, a short story, a, a good appropriate, age-appropriate novel silently. They, and if they read it silently, it's very simple nowadays. The youngsters mm-hmm. who have trouble with decoding, you buddy them up with someone who's a good decoder and who's a nice kid who can just point to the word and they'll just tell them. You could even have mm-hmm. a, a device where they type in the word and it'll say it for them. So a whole bunch of ways mm-hmm. to solve that decoding problem. But there's, there's too much oral reading and without discussion, just doing a worksheet is not uh, uh, an effective way to develop uh, language. Um, uh, again, if teachers... Are, I, I wrote a program for teachers of many years ago, 82 I think, uh, high Co-teachers, which broke novels they were reading, Call of the Wild, The Furrow, um, Catch, uh, Catch on the Rye. broke the, the, the manuals into literal questions, interpretive questions, applied questions. Mm-hmm. And after they finished reading a chapter, they would ask, they'd begin with the literals, the factual, then go to the interpretive, then go to the applied. And the teachers, oh, they, were, they were lovely to me. I was a reading uh, consultant, a reading specialist in the school. And they were thrilled with this manual. And I, I kept looking at them like, uh, I, I, of course, I, I was uh, very happy that they were appreciative. But they, I, I realized that, and so did the head of the English department. They really didn't realize that there were different levels of comprehension. And you don't start mm-hmm. off by asking an, an applied question. What do you think? What would you have done if you were in the cafeteria on that day and you saw that bright that fight breaking out, that racial fight breaking out? What would you have done? Now, again, you haven't even ascertained number one if they know what happened, if they, they took your place in the cafeteria. You haven't even ascertained whether you know what was said or not said that started the fight and so you jumped right to the applied level long story short friend I, I wrote these manuals that teachers used them, and then the head of the English department mm-hmm. had me observe the teachers to see if they were in fact using what we what came to be known years later as differentiated questioning yes, yes. uh differentiated questioning and 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 they were some were <laughs> some weren't and uh uh uh, a the head of the English department in the other school said, it I love the manuals. I'm going to use them in my uh, high school, the district head of high school. They said, they're yours. Take them. Next thing I know, I got a call from mcgraw Hill, and uh, he knew somebody in mcgraw Hill, and they published them. They published them. Believe it or not, friends, remember the old SRA kits, the different colors? Uh-huh. You're in purple. You're in green. You're in blue. Well, they didn't do that, but they did make the – Literal questions, the certain color, the interpreters and the applied. And I, I, I wasn't too upset about that. If, if, if it helps teachers become better questioners, all the better. And again, these questions are not to be just be. Uh, to be very uh, honest, that would have been that would have been
0: great to have. To be honest, especially when I was teaching um, gifted sixth grade, but you know what I yeah. noticed. When I was teaching reading, um, I just don't believe that a reader is the way to teach reading. I don't believe that using the questions in the teacher's edition, they're just a start, but they're not a finish. And I noticed that when I observed other people, that they were asking basically the literal questions, and they weren't asking any critical or uh, drawing conclusions or inference or anything. And I Mm -hmm. don't believe that. This is just my point of view. That one system works in every class, and it, it, it's hard because you've, you they have these canned programs, they have the questions. I mean, if I had something that you that you had, I probably would use it and adapt it and take it maybe another step further. Because when I taught mm-hmm. my two sixth grade classes, they were gifted. Oh my God, they were so smart; it was scary. Um, mm-hmm. We read, and I got in trouble. Like I said before, To Kill a Mockingbird, Little Women, mm-hmm. Little Men. I did everything. Mm-hmm. And we talked Mm -hmm. about it, acted out, and I've never seen – they even wrote their own version of it. And they absolutely ate up reading. They said it was like the greatest thing that ever happened to them. But teachers today just stick to the teacher's edition. And if you have a system like um, Lippincott, which is not a bad for phonics if they could do it, or you have Bank Street or Open Court or any of them – what do they do in the first grade, and that's what happens, if it doesn't work? I, I switched programs and didn't say anything. I did yeah. what I felt was necessary. I mean, sometimes it's just a matter of patterned sentences, repeated sentences, language experience in first grade. And it's just a matter of getting them to understand you could do this, so you didn't get it today, but there's tomorrow. And I don't think yeah. I ever had a first-grade class or any class in first grade. while well, lower grades, it wasn't on grade level at the end of the yeah. year. Do you, know, you remember? Enough, um, I'm sorry.
1: Again. Yeah,
0: they, 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 there was a Macarola came up with a transitional program for grade one. That was brilliant. No, they haven't done anything, which leads me to the next question on my paper here. Mm-hmm. This is a tough one. What is the difference between language acquisition and articulation problems? And does hearing a child with an uncorrected hearing problem cause them to have problem with expressive or receptive language, or both?
1: Uh, yeah, you're right. That is a tough one, and that, this is one that uh, uh, I'm going to give you my best answer with a uh, an a priori okay. uh, a disclaimer. And the disclaimer: My <laughs> biggest interest in reading celestial psycholinguistics. I'm not a speech or language therapist, but uh, I, I do know a, a reasonable amount about uh, that what you asked, So I'll answer it and then defer for part of it. All right. In, in terms of the, the difference between language uh, language difficulty and articulation difficulty, that's easy to explain. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the language difficulty uh, is the youngster is having problems in either expressive or receptive mm. language. Um, and you, there are many tests, even, even a simple test of uh, uh, verbal opposites, you say a word, yes, the answer to give you the opposite. Okay, and that's a, a, a decent one. The Peabody Picture Vocabulary Test, you say a word, telescope, you going to look at four pictures, point to the correct picture. That's a pretty, probably the most widely used test of uh, receptive vocabulary. Uh, I'm a... I'm a uh, a proponent of the Peabody because I, I gave the Peabody to um, mm. fourth grade, fifth grade youngsters. Uh, also, I gave it to high school kids, believe it or not, but because it goes up in terms of level of difficulty. But the beauty of the uh, Peabody picture vocabulary test is it's print-free. So you can actually test the youngster who you've already figured out he has a severe decoding problem. So if he has a severe mm. decoding problem, of course, if they give him a vocabulary test where he has to read the word and then its synonym, right? Or its mm-hmm. uh, definition? He's going to do poorly. Whereas with the Peabody, it's it's print-free. So um, that that that's a very good test of receptive uh, language. So th- that that again, and a- also probably the most psychologically valid way to assess expressive and receptive language is through naturalistic assessment, naturalistic mm-hmm. classroom-based assessment, where the teachers on a regular basis listening to how the kids. Uh, express their their answers to questions as if they're asking them, mm-hmm. and uh, to see how they're processing them. That's the receptive part. So uh, that's a naturalistic assessment. In terms of articulation, that's different articulation is mm-hmm. very much physiological, and this is where I have to defer a little bit, or give my my, uh, my my dear friend, who is a wonderful speech and language pathologist. Uh, for 40 years, and is still doing it in own uh, private practice. Uh, uh, but the articulators we have, we have the tongue, we have the lips, we have the upper palate, we have the lower palate, we have the teeth, we have the uh, the the uh, uh, larynx, uh, we have the vocal cords. All of those things play a part in articulation. So the youngster who says, see, see, and he's, the, the, mm-hmm. Do you hear me saying "c"? Yeah, "c", "c". That's a very common articulation problem with three, four, or five-year-olds, and that's basically because their tongues rusting. They're throwing their tongue out through their mm. teeth. So instead of saying "c", "c", where the tongue stays behind the teeth, it protrudes through the teeth and. And a speech pathologist whose worth is or her salt will be able to find that out immediately. They use a mirror, they work with the child on that and they're able to solve that. So there are many articulation problems. That's not the only one. There are lists, lateral lists, frontal lists. That's that that's called a frontal list. Um uh come thrust thing. But there are lateral lips, frontal lists, uh uh and uh a nasal lists, that right? when you stand when mm-hmm. right, like you that. And and I'm not making fun. Of of course not. But I'm modeling it uh, for your listeners. Uh, These these are all correctable. They're they're probably in my opinion much easier to correct than a language problem. Why? Because they're more tied to the physiology. Mm. Uh, I had a a relative recently who she was concerned about a little girl. She wasn't speaking uh, holophrastically, single word utterances at two two and a half. Not that anyone else could understand, her, anyway, it turned out she had um, a short frenum. The frenum is that little job under your tongue that connects your tongue to your lower um, palate. Okay, mm. and she had a. They, they usually and so what they had to do was a frenectomy. A uh, frenectomy is they snip it, and uh, basically they they the the colloquial word for that problem, if it's diagnosed correctly, is the youngster's tongue tie. Yeah. Two, mm. the, the, or, but I, I shouldn't say, say snippet. They actually start out by trying exercises to stretch it, okay? But, but if, they, if they, that doesn't work, they end up doing a me and actually snipping it. But uh, all of these things, in my opinion, are far easier to do because they're physical, they're, they're not black and white, but they're, they're right in front of you, whereas the, the expressive and receptive language, the to cognition... And then you next to this incredible thing we call the brain is far more complex than the physiology. I hope I can well, give th- a shot. Did that
0: really wait. Okay, before I forget <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to forget yeah. we only have a few minutes left. On Thursday sure. the author of The Perfect Brother. On Monday we have to hold on for that one because the author is having a heart procedure so we have to cancel that. Well, we're praying for him. On the 12th, the author of Dad, Stephen Manchester. On the 17th, Adam Sykes. On the 19th, this is going to really be interesting. One of the number one cardiologists in the world, Dr. Christina Laporte, wrote a book called Dissection, about three different types of dissections, and she asked for an interview. And how would you like it to get a card in the mail that says, your heart attack will happen in an hour, and it
1: does. Right. It's scary. Oh my goodness. Is yeah, it, that's and that's just
0: part of part of October,
1: and November be, we have that, Philip that be, Margolin. That
0: will be fascinating.
1: I'm sorry.
0: It is fascinating because the book had aerial uh, audio, um, aortic dissection arterial dissection and carotid dissection that's my memory working there and yeah uh-huh. and i read the book and i got i was scared to death reading it some doctor invented this so that she could get even with people that she thought did something wrong to her and as a result she killed a lot of people oh and my god you that i won't say what happened at the end my question about what we were just talking about is this. What happens when um, a child can hear the way it's supposed to sound? And we said you have the, they have a speech problem. Now, I taught every grade except kindergarten because that's not me. And I learned, this is going to sound crazy, uh, for a spelling test, we did oral spelling tests because I, did, I said, you know what? I'm just going to tell you the word. You tell me the words, and everybody that gets them mic gets a <laughs> hundred. Nobody fails mm-hmm. spelling. It mm-hmm. was. It was. They they just looked at me. And they go, only you would do that. Yeah. Uh, oral vocabulary test. Some kids really, like you said, have trouble reading the words, and yet they do know what the words mean. So a lot of times in my classes, because I had third and fourth grade or fifth and sixth grade. All I, I taught nineteen years of learning disabilities until I got my reading masters and prayed for myself to be taken out of it. And they were all discipline problems. I mean, and I was good. Mm-hmm. What, what, I gave oral vocabulary tests and everybody passed because they listened to what I was saying. I even taped the words and the definitions so they could hear it. And then we went over and, the vocabulary,
1: and, made, and nobody and, failed. And you made it. And you made it decoding free.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? I, I just yeah, made yeah. A, you, a, took, a, you took the decoding out of the uh, equation. Yeah. Wonderful.
0: Well, this quote friend we, and, did they, a, and almost got in trouble for it, but didn't care. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I believe yeah, that yeah. children
0: should be taught. However, they should be taught, and every child learns differently, and teachers don't know yeah. that. And they're they're just like, oh well, this is the reading program the principal gave me, and I go, yeah, and he's going to be in your room every day to figure out what. Okay, now we have time for one or two more questions. This question really really got to me a lot because I was considered one of these. So we're going to skip over the national pillars. We're going to get that next time. Um, Mm -hmm. What are the characteristics of an early natural reader? I did have a couple. And is it possible... what 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 is what is it? How do they actually? Do sit down and just pick up a book and read it? Out of nowhere, that's what they told me I, I could do. I said I don't remember doing that, but whatever. Um, my mother complained that I was reading all the time. I said it's better than listening to you criticize. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> or she was like, Oh my god, yeah, ten you know, books a week I, and homework. So what? What? How does a child? deal with the fact that they you know, come into a class and maybe they're smarter than everybody else and they're a natural reader, and the teachers don't address it. I mean, I had a little boy in second grade. They moved him first grade. We moved him to second. Then they moved him to third because they realized he didn't belong in the lower grade. Um, I don't know if I agree with putting him in third, but, yeah, he did okay. So what do you do when a child's a natural reader? How do you work with them in a class of 25 to make sure that you don't lose them?
1: Wonderful question, and, friend. This is a uh, this is a an, an area that I'm uh, I'm very uh, excited about. In fact, I mm-hmm. I did I I did considerable research on natural readers, and I'd like to say I did them because I'm a I'm a scholar, and I was mm-hmm. I was just so uh, intrigued by. it, But that that's not true. I did did it because uh, my first son, who is now, oh. He's up there in his age, uh, but uh, now he's 40, 49, actually. But when he was, um, oh, I don't know, I think three years old, uh, he would be reading what, what's called environmental prints. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that. Uh, look at that delicatessen. Look at that shell. And uh, again, not unusual because you have the context right there. You right? Oh, gas station. Yes. Look at that. Oh, bakery. Again. One, that's also one of the first signs of early reading, okay, uh, uh, environmental print. But not everybody who reads environmental print becomes a natural reader. But between my wife and myself, we read to both of our children all, all the time. All, they were read to every night without exception, okay? And um, then what, what happened is I would notice he, let's talk about the oldest one first, he he would say, he would start telling me about, he I can read this. And he would actually turn pages and say the story, but in his own words. And Mm -hmm. believe it or not, that came to be known as I became knowledgeable about the literature. That came to be called, they used to call pretend reading, which which Mm -hmm. I found interesting. Unfortunately, it was a little bit uh, degrading because that wasn't pretend reading. with maybe over the last 20 years, they now call that a reenactment, but the youngster is reenacting the story, but in his own words, because he understood it so well. Okay, then I have to I'm going to move along quickly. Then I noticed my wife and I went a Chinese restaurant and we finished eating the Chinese food, and we all opened our Chinese uh, uh, fortune cookies and uh, David said opened his up and said, "You have a wonderful destiny in front of you."
0: And I said, Gimme that.
1: now I know I knew he can read words that he's seen before. I knew he could read environmental print, but I know he couldn't we never saw the word he never saw the word destiny, I'm positive. Okay? How could he read that? Now we didn't have words pasted up all over the refrigerator and all over the walls and this and that as they sometimes do nowadays. We weren't mm-hmm. doing phonics lessons. I had no idea, Brandon I was just about finishing my PhD in reading. Okay, and I had no clue how we did it. And it took me a while, actually. I advertised in the paper for children who are early readers, and uh, I, I asked the, the parents on the phone, oh, that's fine, fine, uh, your you son is three or four, or your daughter. Uh-huh. And uh, we asked, and can you tell me how, how you, you, you taught them? Yes, we did with word cards and this and that, and that was another. Okay, thank you so much. I'll get back to you uh, if I think you'll be good for my study. That That's a natural reader. Once I said, can you tell me how your your youngster did it? Uh, a I'm little, a little embarrassed, but we read to him all the time or her all the time, and mm-hmm. then it just happened. It just happened. That's the natural reader. Brand, I had them brought to my office. I videotaped with the parent in the room, of course. I videotaped myself mm-hmm. working with the youngster. Incredible. I found out of several things. I have actually 20 of them. On videotape, which I've had turned into CDs at this point, uh, I did a long time ago. I, I did a, a talk at the International Reading Association uh, in Texas mm. uh, 25 years ago about this. The, the people just loved these these pictures of these. Three. They had a meal so they can they could see the book on the desk. You know, though that's small. But number one, what I found fascinating, Corinne, is they loved. They really preferred reading silently rather than orally. Isn't that mm-hmm. interesting? When was reading at the time, I gave them an, an informal reading inventory. Right after I, I, found, I also gave them a quick IQ test. The IQs were all well above the average. Okay, that's number one. Number two, in interviewing the parents, the parents read to these children incessantly all the time. Okay, And then the kids were also pencil and paper kids. They love to read, to, to write. They love to, to make up stories. And long story short, get to. And I'm making this too long, but. After having 15 of these kids and after having them on tape, I finally came to me, probably in reading a little neurology, that what happens with the brain is that when you do something a lot with the left brain, left hemisphere, sometimes mm-hmm. it crosses all over the corpus callosum. That's the thing that separates the two, the two parts, and it becomes automatic. Well, my friend never saw the word destiny before ever. Then how can you decode it? Because he saw the word, Mm. I'm sure, rest, he saw the word vest, he saw many words that ended in a Y, all right? And he was able, his head was able to all by itself, all by itself, using Mm. what we, the fancy word is a heuristic, all right? But all by itself, the brain was able to make that connection. It's it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Now, what happens when these kids get to school, when that was a, second part of your question (laughs) well Mm -hmm. it's a little bit problematic it's a little bit problematic because the teachers have no clue what to do with them Uh no clue what to do with them and in my opinion they are the easiest ones in the world let them read to the rest of the class since they can already do it all right well let them read to their group and uh just a little quickie vignette because i know we're almost out of time but my the oldest son i was talking about and it also happened to my youngest son i uh, think and it was a little bit difficult because being a reading specialist when i said well i i, I didn't teach them nobody believed me okay and no, nor did they they think that my wife wasn't the one who taught them we read to them that was it but uh, we said that he was in first grade and i went up to school we went up to school and the teacher told us how you know adorable little boy and this and that and do i know he's already reading I said, yeah, yeah, where, 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 where are they? She said, I'm thinking he might be reading on a third grade level. I said, well, maybe. Meanwhile, I, I kind of know. So I said, yeah, maybe. She said, well, it's, it's kind of a problem. So I smiled and I, I looked at her and I said, uh, because in his reading group, after he's, they finish with the story, he is helping the other kids and he's helping them do their, their workflow pages and this and that, or he's talking with them. He said, exactly. How would you know? I said, well, I know my son. And he also had the, the heebie-jeebies, was a little bit active, yeah. Today we would have given him one of those medical labels, right? But, so I said, okay. I said, that that can be problematic for you. I fully understand. May I make a suggestion? And she said, absolutely. She goes, I'm thinking of maybe putting him in third grade with for, for reading. I said, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. He, he's a young first grader. I said, thank you, but no. So, what, what are you suggesting? I said, why don't you just send him to the library? My friend listen carefully to this. I've told this story at many conferences, and I've had many teachers get angry at me, and it, it, they shouldn't because it's not meant uh, in a negative way. But I said, this is what I suggest. Send him to the library during reading. And she looked me right in the eye and said, but Dr. Guvedo, what is he going to do there? Mm. And, and well, all I can tell you is that
0: we have about three minutes well, well, left. But t- okay. I, I'm trying to can figure out for next thing? one.
1: Go on. I, basically, this is a well-intentioned teacher who basically was asking, mm-hmm. what kind of program is he going to be involved in there? And just yeah. not realizing that once you can do it, all you need are the books. You say, just like once you can ski, you just need the snow. You say. So it was a well-intentioned teacher wanting to do the best thing and and i i i basically said he'll he'll pick up he'll book a pick a book and read what if it's too hard he'll put it down and pick another she said that's wonderful and she did that and it worked out well okay thank you no
0: all i know is that i spent a lot of time in the library but i can honestly say nobody ever read to me my mother and my my father nobody my grandparents didn't yeah my grandmother didn't speak english she taught Uh me jewish i learned how to speak Uh Um, I learned how to read Hebrew. <laughs> Nobody read to me at all, and when I got to kindergarten, I don't remember how I ever doing. I don't even remember what they did. And as far as first grade, um, they gave us whatever program they gave us, which could put you to sleep. I just sort of learned to read, and then when I got into whatever grade it was, um, I refused to read the reader. I just took you know Little Women, Little Men when I was eight or nine, I don't even know how old I really am. That's a whole other issue. Um, I, I just read whatever was there, and I spent a lot of time in the library, and I just sort of learned to read. And well, you, you, I, I don't know. I don't know. You reading Reading love groups love sort of stigmatized kids back then, but we could talk about that next time. Reading groups sort of stigmatize. I mean, we them in group one, two, or three. And depending on what teacher was in front of you, it depended on whether you wanted to sit in that group or hide under a chair. Absolutely. I mean, that that that, yeah, that that got to me too. And silent reading is what I do better. I, I understand it's scary sometimes. I sit down and read a whole book because I review them. Everybody knows that. And then I have mm-hmm. the book memorized. It's scary. Mm-hmm. I have the whole book memorized. And then I'd write a review, and then I'd go, okay, next one. And I, I amazed myself, since I was in your class and took the reading masters, I amazed myself because I said, you could really do that. And, yeah, this week we're you, talking you... about, I'm reading a book about a real serial killer. And I started it, and I go, oh, my God, I, I got it. But um, I'm looking at my calendar, my schedule, <laughs> my schedule here, Um I could do next Thursday morning because I canceled something that I didn't want to do. Sure. Does that work? That works?
1: Next Thursday morning? The 13th? Morning is, yeah, that's fine with me.
0: Okay, that works because I'm going to cancel this because I don't really want to do it. I'm becoming, uh, you know, like what I want to do. Okay, and uh-huh. um, do you want to send me the talking points? I have I have all the research. Just tell me which ones you want to focus on next Thursday.
1: Will do, absolutely.
0: Okay, this has been very interesting, and I just emailed, texted my cousin, who's got two granddaughters. Kaya Lily is eight, and Kenzie, who's mm-hmm. a trip, she's six, and she says, Kaya. well, Kaya's very smart. She takes after her cousin, me, and she reads like two books, a night. kid is great. Kenzie yeah. reads, but not as much, and I don't, you know, I just said to them, if they ever have a problem with reading... Well, Kenzie once you know, I, w- I would help her over the phone or read with her. But you know what? Parents, for some reason, this is the other question, is feel that the schools are responsible for everything and that they don't have to do anything. They don't even help with, ho- with homework. I'm telling them you're not supposed to do the homework for them, but you can explain it and break it down. or call me and I'll tell you how to do it. So yeah. next Thursday well, that- that- at 10... Good. Yeah, it's, I it's, already it's, have
1: it. I just put it on my calendar. That sounds wonderful. It's my
0: schedule. Thank you so much. This has been enlightening, and it, actually this has been the most fun I've had all day. And everybody, <laughs> everybody, reading is valuable. It's important. It teaches you information. And I also tell my students, who absolutely still believe this, reading is power, and it gives you the chance to make the choices that you want when you get that job and when you want to be somebody. The more you know, the better off you are. So, everybody, read a book. Thank you, Dr. Cavuto. Everybody stay safe, and bye. Thank
1: you, friend.